0: But this morning we are here to worship Jesus and to hear from his word and to hear from the book of James, actually. We're going to start in the book of James this morning. And uh, this is going to be a series that's going to teach us about how to make our faith work. We're calling it Faith That Works, how to make it practical, how to put it into action. It's it's written actually to Jewish Christians, it says in verse 1. So the Jewish believers had been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And this is written to Jewish believers, how to live out their newfound faith in Jesus. And it will just talk a lot to us practically about how to walk as mature Christians. Right? You ever get frustrated by yourself or others that are call themselves Christians and they act like something different? I mean, we need Christians that act like it and live it and walk in maturity. And that's, that's what this is going to teach us to do. And this morning in particular, we're going to look at chapter 1 of James, first 18 verses. Uh, we're going to look at maybe some of the obstacles or challenges that we find. I, I couldn't decide on which word was best out of those two. Um, I'll just go with challenges uh, to our faith and do not see them as enemies, right? Rejoice in trials, it's going to tell us to do. I don't see these difficulties as challenge as, as obstacles but see them as opportunities to grow our spiritual muscle and to stand strong so that's what we're aiming for this morning and we'll begin again chapter one and the first challenge that shows up is trials and verse two says this Count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So, count a joy when you fall into trials of various kinds. Now, trials are a certainty. Are they not? I mean, you're. I think you can count, you're either in one of three places. Either you're going into a trial, or you're right, doggone, right in the middle of a trial, or you're coming out of one. It's one of the three, and this is where it is in human existence in trials test our faith it says this is a testing of our faith where is God in this will he come through for me Am, am I up to this challenge by faith and the Bible tells us to count it joy because it produces in us perseverance and steadfastness and maturity it brings transformation it brings us closer to god if we turn to him let's us experience his grace and his help more intimately and in the end it makes us more like jesus that's what that's why you rejoice right And, and it's profound actually because it says in in hebrews 5 8 that jesus listen to this jesus learned obedience through what he suffered I've just that just verse just blows me out of the water, like Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered so so don't see trials as an enemy to be avoided, but it's a catalyst for maturity in your life. Lean into them, I think is what this is saying. Even welcome them now, look at, don't create them right? They're not that good right. Don't be that person. But if they come your way, see them as an opportunity. It reminded me of one of my favorite children's books. We have a bunch of children these days show up, especially for second service. But we're going on a bear hunt. And, uh, yeah, you know this book. I love this book. And these people keep coming up against obstacles, right? And challenges. They run into a a river and and grass and mud and snow. And and they always come to this conclusion. We we can't go over it, right? Can't go under it. So we have to go through it, right? That's that's biblical. (laughs) That's what we have. We got to go through it. Don't try to go around it. In fact, as we came to this pandemic, You know, we we thought, well, this was March of 2020, and we thought, oh, this will be over by May, right? Here we are two years later, and we're still having various challenges, so we're, we're we're to let it have its full effect and shape us and humble us because it's likely to last longer than you think, right? And for those, I think, who tried to make the pandemic go away quickly or just pull back and not even deal with it. I think those are the people that had the hardest effects with it. I think mostly if we step into it, I would say this about our church, we're better for it. We've learned a lot from it. And we've we've determined something of our deeper devotion to Jesus through it. And that's the, the message of trials. Count them joy. Well, now the second challenge or obstacle is is doubts. (laughs) Ever had any doubts in your life? Boy. Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James says, now look it, when you face life and it's complicated and it's difficult, often, we just got done talking about trials, like asks for wisdom and how to navigate your way through it. God says, I'll give it to you. This is one of our best prayers. I recommend starting your day. Like look what's out there in the day and ask God for wisdom. I do this. Regularly. Like ask God for wisdom in all these various things that you see coming. And the things you don't, ask for wisdom when you're in the middle of it throughout the day. Just quickly throw up this prayer to God. But the Bible says, when we ask, ask believing. Okay, this is this is a general principle of prayer that we are to pray prayers of faith, faith of deep trust. In God and his good heart that he will answer and that he will answer for our best and we rest in that we're resting in his deep character of who he is his love and his grace and his goodness to us and we believe that God is inclined to say yes he wants the best for us Matthew 7 says this ask and it will be given to you Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened to you. And Jesus says, if you then, looking at all his disciples who are evil, (laughs) that wasn't very complimentary, yeah, you evil ones, he looks at his disciples and says this, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him, and so a prayer of faith is a prayer of a heart poured out honestly to God, resting and trusting, and leaving it in His hands as a good God. Right? I mean, Jesus did this very thing. Remember Jesus' prayer toward the end of His life, before He's going to go to the cross. He said, "Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from me. <clears throat> Nevertheless, not my will." But yours be done. And the Father's answer was no. (laughs) If He gives Jesus a no, you think you and I might get a no once in a while to relief from our trial? But when the answer doesn't come quickly or like we like it, don't doubt. God is good, He is for you. Don't stop praying. Don't, don't take matters into your own hands and try to fix it yourself. Keep trusting. Believe and rest. Faith takes God at his word and acts on it and trusts his promise. Like this one, he'll give us wisdom if we ask and steps out in faith. That's what we're called to do. Right? So let's stare down our doubts right? and head into them and trust God and see if he won't prove himself good. The third obstacle and challenge is riches. <clears throat> riches. And all of us in America are acquainted with this challenge. right? These are interesting verses. It says, let the lowly, 9 to 11, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now look, there's nothing wrong with riches. They're a blessing and we're thankful for them and Americans have a lot of them. But they can become a great obstacle to our faith and to walking with strength. In Jesus because we are inclined to put our hope and our security in our bank account rather than God and so this text says something really astounding almost shocking if you think about it it says less let the person with less wealth be exalted and the person with more wealth humbled and we, we flip this right we think the low person with low wealth should be humbled and the wealthy person should be exalted, but the Bible flips these because the Bible knows the wisdom of wealth. And, and Luke 16, 11 speaks of it when it says, if then you have been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, worldly wealth and money, who will entrust you with the true riches, spiritual and eternal wealth? See, the Bible speaks of two kinds of wealth. A worldly wealth, financial that we experience in this life, and an eternal wealth, true riches, a spiritual wealth that is treasure that's built up in heaven. The Bible tells us about. It says, "Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Right? Don't try to collect a bunch of wealth here, where moth and rust and destroy, and where thieves break in and steal it. But lay up for yourselves treasures." In heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what this verse, I think, in James is pointing to is that a poorer person puts or more likely to put their hope in spiritual wealth, right? And treasures in heaven, the wise place to put your hopes, where the rich person is likely to hope in their earthly and temporary wealth. That's where we're going to put our hope if we have lots of money. Generally, that's our inclination as as people. And so there's risk in this. This is what James is pointing out to us. Don't put your hope in earthly wealth, but really understand that if you are rich, you possess lots of earthly treasures, that they will be taken away when you die. And the crash is big, right? If your hope is in wealth, (laughs) and you come to the end of your life, the fall off of that high cliff is far, right? Now, some people, I think, are blessed. They don't see it as a blessing, that they get that fall earlier in life, right? All kinds of people have lost millions in a moment. And then they realize it isn't about wealth. They might figure it out earlier. But we're to live in a way that when we die, it's gain. That dying is gain. Dying is not the loss of of material wealth, but dying is gain. Paul said it this way in Philippians 121, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that's because his hope wasn't in wealth. (laughs) He doesn't lose it at the end. His hope is in Christ. To live is Christ. His riches and his treasure in this life was walking with Jesus. And when he dies, he gets more of that. It's gain. That's what this verse is trying to tell us. Don't let riches get you off the healthy path. When we live for Jesus and his purposes, our life is not only full now and abundant, the scriptures say. But when it comes to the end, and it will come to the end, it is gain. Imagine being the people now in Mariupol, Ukraine today, underground, right, being shelled daily. Right? I mean, it's just unimaginable, isn't it? Do you think maybe Jesus is a little more precious to them than he is to us today? Do you think maybe heaven seems a little sweeter to them today, those who are Christians there? than it does to us today. Let the the humble person, the person in the hard place, rejoice that they will be exalted as they trust in Jesus. But the person who's put in their hope in wealth rejoice in the humiliation that death's going to take it all away. live our lives with an eye on eternity, right? I mean, I'm, I'm in the back nine of life, so it's a little easier for me than those that are in the front nine, you know. I got mean, a little ways to go yet. But to make every day count. I have, my, my daughter-in-law loves country music, and every time I visit her, she teaches me a country music song. <laughs> it becomes the plague of my life. Because then I can't, they can't, you can't get them out of your head, right? And there's this song. She taught me about this guy. He goes, I want to be wealthy, you know. and I want to I have, I want to inherit from a rich uncle. And then he goes, so I can buy me a boat and buy me a truck to pull it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of fun, right? And then he talks about his cooler full of beer and his rod and reel, you know. It does sound kind of fun. But my gosh, if that's the end of your life, like you want to get rich so you can buy me a boot, like, <laughs> is that the best it gets? God, right, there's more than life than this, right? You stand before Jesus and go, here's my boat, right? This is it, this is what I did. Let's use what God has given us, whatever amount he's given us, to live it for Jesus and His Kingdom's purposes. Well, the fourth challenge or obstacle is temptation. <clears throat> this think is the biggest section. This one could be its own sermon. All these could be their own sermon. It's one of the curse of preaching is you have to not take ten years in the Book of James, you know. So, <clears throat> but do it in a few months. But it says this: Blessed is the man. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So temptation here is given as a very unique and special kind of trial. And it's given its own place as a unique kind of trial because it's one of the biggest ones. This is a serious suffering, friends. You know this. Temptation causes our souls to suffer deeply. We want something. We might even want it really badly. And God says you shouldn't have it. And you should deny yourself it. That's hard on us. If you're honest, this is tough. Right? And I don't know when you find yourself most tempted. You, you, here's what I do. Two times. When I'm off a really big Sunday, a big day. And I just relax going into Monday. That's when I my mind can go crazy on me. Or, and here's the second one, it's more common, actually. And that is when I'm trying to write a sermon to teach to you on Sunday. God brings all kinds of crazy thoughts of anger and laziness and all kinds of things in my brain. And I'm just fighting it as I write this sermon. Doesn't that surprise you? <laughs> right? And it's a suffering to stay at at that desk and write for eight hours on Friday. (laughs) I get tired of this. And you get tired of your job too sometimes, right? It's work and it's hard. and, And Satan tempts me with all kinds of easier, more fun, quicker satisfaction. And it is a soul suffering. But it's also a great opportunity. That's what this text is telling us. This is an opportunity. It's a chance to find great happiness and great reward. This text tells us that the one who stands true receives a crown of life. That is God's blessing in life now and in eternal blessing in the days ahead. Revelation 2.10 says us, if we are faithful to the end, if we fight to the end and stay in the fight, I will give you a crown of life. This hard fight that we fight to stay true to Jesus, and it is hard, is rewarded. We know this, right? Because when we give in to sin, the misery that comes, right? How many tears of brokenness do we have to cry before God before we understand that this is really a dumb path? We see it in ourselves. We see it in others, these destructive choices that we make. I've sat in my chair so many times and just cried over my Dumb choices, I can't even count it. It's, it's a misery to give into temptation. But this, this verse reminds us, you can't blame God for it. <laughs> and that's what makes it so hard. If I am being tempted, <laughs> I'm not being tempted by God because God doesn't tempt anyone. It's not his fault. And that's what makes it so painful. It was my own stupid choice do that there God promises though right with every temptation he will provide a way of escape so friends brothers and sisters let's let's fight this thing now this temptation it tells us That it starts with desires. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. It starts with desires. You don't give in to something you don't want to do. There's a desire there for it, or you wouldn't do it at all. It says, then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So it goes from desire to sin to death. That's the progression here. It's an important progression. And the first step is desire. No, no, desire is not sin. That's important. When you are tempted, you are not sinning. That desire to do something wrong is not a sin. It's when we then give into it that it becomes sin. And that's the step we've got to stop. So, so, so think think with me now. If we're going to root out this stuff that brings this misery that we talk about, then if we can beat it at the desire level, we won't ever get to sin. See? We, we want to win temptations at the desire level. I mean, we can white-knuckle it out and just say, I'm not going to do it, right? I really want to, but I'm not going to. You can do that for a while. <laughs> it's not going to hold up, and it doesn't change your heart. You know this, we've tried to white-knuckle it, haven't we? Lots. We've got to beat it at the desire level so the desire becomes weakened and something else becomes more desirable. That's what we've got to do. So how do you change your desires? And the scriptures make it pretty clear how to do that. And that's to view life in a way that Jesus looks more precious and desirable to us than, to our, than our sin. That's what we got to do. And by the way, he is. When you get that view, that's an accurate one. That's a good one. That's the true one. But that's the fight. That's what we're fighting for, that Jesus looks more desirable, more pleasurable to us than our sin. That's what Moses wrestled with. And he, he, he chose, it says in Hebrews 11, people of God and obeying God rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. God was more precious to him, more desirable to him than his sin. So so that's the question. What, What is your greatest pleasure, right? Whatever is your greatest pleasure, that will be your God. Promise you. Is it God or is it something else? And Satan's going to put on that hook, that little it's called a lure, it's called a lure here. Whatever it is that you are tempted with and say, that's better, that tastes better, that's more desirable than Jesus. That's what He's doing. And this is why we gather and worship on Sunday is to sing to our God and celebrate and, and, and speak of. The greatness of Christ and who he is and what he's done and the love of God and expressed in him that we would taste deeply I think sin really is no more than sort of this giving ourselves to something we think will make us feel loved well it's plastic it's a lure it doesn't like right it's fake that's the fish that just bit on your lure stupid the real thing is God he is what our heart cries out for. So we're encouraged to, to trace it out. Think about it. Right? Where's this going to take you? If I give in to this, then it says, I suffer the consequences of sin, which is death. Right? Pain suffering, bad things. And, and wisdom, this book of James, is just, it's a book on wisdom. It, it'll teach us over and over again. It's very similar to Proverbs in the Old Testament. Actually, the two are kind of sisters in, in teaching. Proverbs always is teaching us, like, think it out. Think of where this is going to take you. Don't do it unless you've given it some thought. Where, where are you going to land with this? If I go this way, where does it take me? Proverbs 5, like, this is the immoral woman, all right? If you, if you give into to that, where, where do you go, my son? Pain, loss of wealth, shame, death. Don't do it. So he's encouraging, take God at his word. Believe him, right? Now, now some of us, i probably be in this category, we got to kind of experience it first to see if we really believe it. We're going to taste it and see. Like, okay, God said it, got that. But I just want to see for myself, right? And we're too stubborn to just take God at His Word. But we gotta know, like our brains trick us. It looks good, it feels good, our emotions scream for it. Even we can reason our mind to make it say that looks like the right direction. But Proverbs 14:12 says, there is a way that seems right to man. But the way of that is death. And this is why we've got to put God's word in our heart and in our, our mind. Romans twelve two says to renew our mind, to think on God's word, and then test God in that. Try it out and see if it won't be pleasing and acceptable and good and a blessing. It'll keep you from pain and suffering. but then and this is an important then because we've all kind of gone through all of those roadblocks you know god puts all these roadblocks in our path to try to keep us from doing the dumb thing right you felt that we just hurdle every one of them right boom 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 try to stop me god right we bite the bait the lure suffer the consequences okay god doesn't drop you there, right? And that's when you preach the gospel to yourself. You got to preach the gospel to yourself if you've given in. And that is that in Jesus, if you're a believer in him, he looks at you as if you have never sinned. You are completely accepted in his sight because of what Jesus did for you. There is no guilt, there's no shame, Isaiah 53 that we studied last week says Jesus took our guilt, he took our shame, and we stand holy before him. And you've got to preach that to yourself in the darkest moment when you just gave in to the worst thing. You've got to preach that to yourself. Otherwise, you'll shame yourself out of it and guilt yourself out of it, and that will circle right back to having to relieve the pain in your soul and do it again. Okay, this is critical. You've got to gospel your way out of this. It's a lifelong battle. All right there's one last one here and it's in verses 16 to 18 and that is this <clears throat> deception. Deception it says, "Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. do not be deceived my beloved brothers." Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now, look, we are subject to lies, and we are subject to deception. And here, I think, is one of the greatest ones. But we are deceived to think. And that is this that God is not good. That is a temptation, a deception that we all face. This verse tells us that everything good in your life comes from God. Everything. And the deception says he can't be trusted, he's not good. ever been here? I wonder if he even hates me. Been there? I have. And Oswald Chambers, I think he said it well. He said, the root of all sin is the suspicion that God is not good. Because as soon as we start wondering if God is not good, we're going to take it into our own hands and do it our way. And say, I can take better care of myself. I can find more pleasure on my own than I can ever find doing it God's way. And if we're even tempted to think that God is not good and doesn't have our best on our behalf and isn't a Father in heaven who wants to give us good gifts, then we're going to start taking matters into our own hands and go our own way. We'll start believing our doubts and doubting our beliefs. And it's the opposite of what God asks of us. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts and trust Jesus because he is good. We were just with some friends here a while back. Mary and I were. And they bailed on their Christian faith. And I'm just astounded. They're our age and I go to get this far and suddenly turn your back on Jesus now? I'm like, God, please! What in the world would bring you to think that is good for you? Band, you can come on up. But we begin to doubt, We let doubts in our mind, and deceptions follow, and we start to wonder whether this is good for us. We turn our back on Jesus. So the Bible's answer to this is similar to others. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Put your eyes on Jesus. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may grow weary or faint-hearted. Here's what you do in moments of doubt. You look at Jesus. You fix your eyes on him. And you see in him the love of God for you. And you see in him how he endured in the most serious trial and stayed true even when he said father if you can take this one away from me please do and the father said no so we're going we're gonna to close this morning by singing a couple songs the first one is It Is Well right? and we're very familiar with the story Horatio Spafford was a businessman and, and he writes this song having lost four children in a sea accident I and mean, I can't imagine a deeper trial than that and he wrote this song that it is well with his soul and that peace like a river attends my way I mean how can you Horatio how can you say that you just lost four children and he gives his answer his answer was this. Though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. That was his answer. That was his focus, having lost four children. That was enough. Christ was enough for him and what he did. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. That was enough. And he knew this, and he says it in this song, that if I have Jesus... And absolutely nothing else. That's enough. Can you say that? And if that's true for you, then anything that comes your way, you can stand in. Anything. Because Christ can't be taken away from you. So this morning, we're going to sing it as well. I'm going to ask the band to go and um, let's just take a moment here if you're going through a trial and you're just struggling right i'd like to pray for you this morning so i'm, I'm just going to ask you to stand we do this sometimes at risen life and uh, i'm just going to take a moment and pray for you. if you're going through a trial the bible says when we humble ourselves <laughs> we get lifted up and so to stand is just to humble ourselves and say god i That's what you're at this morning. Just stand. Don't be shy, right? (laughs) Let's take a moment and pray for these that have stood. Father, thank you. That you love us so deeply. Thank you for these that have stood. You say, when we humble ourselves, you lift us up. And so I ask for a lifting of their heart and their soul, perseverance and grace to stand, but also, God, deliverance from this trial. You're a good father. And I ask you to bring healing to whatever there is their concern. Now, Father, speak to us of your great love. Thank you that you loved us by sending Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.